Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today I'm having a conversation with Dr. Aaron Perry of Wesley Seminary, affiliated with Indiana Wesleyan University. Aaron's an associate professor of pastoral theology and leadership at Wesley. He holds a PhD in organizational leadership from Regent, and he's the author most recently of Kairos Care, a process for pastoral counseling in the office and in everyday encounters. Aaron and his wife, Heather, have four children and they're active in the local church. Aaron has been a pastor serving in local church settings and he's also been a professor and he brings a wealth of wisdom to this conversation as we take a deep dive into several different areas, uh, leadership, especially the importance of pastoral care, and he shares many of the lessons that he learned from both combining the theoretical things that he's done as an academic with his hands-on ministry within the local church to bring some really unique perspectives to our conversation. I know I learned many things, and we also get into some really practical ways that you can order and manage your day to be able to be available when persons need our care and our support as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're a pastor, Aaron has some really good advice on how to set up your, your even your calendar to be able to maximize the, your ability to serve uh, the people that we have in our congregations. Also, I want to remind everyone before we jump into this conversation that my book on Centering Prayer is called Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life, is now available via Paraclete Press. You can also check it out on Amazon. If you'd like to have some tips on Centering Prayer, you can still go to centeringprayerbook.com, sign up for my email, and I'll send you some email information on Centering Prayer too. Let's uh, jump into this conversation. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, just let's just get started by a little simple introduction. So what what have been some key moments in your spiritual journey that's led you to the present time where you're a, you're serving at Indiana Wesleyan and at Wesley Seminary? Um, you're, you're an author and then you also do a podcast for the seminary. So what, what's what's been some key formative moments for you spiritually? Yeah, let me give you let me give you two. Um, one comes uh, on the heels of reading C.S. Lewis's book, Till We Have Faces. And uh, that was a book that kind of opened my eyes to, um, let's say, the, the masks that we can wear before God and the masks that, that we're, we're wearing and trying on. I read that book when I was about 20, 20 or 21 years old, and that kind of opened my eyes to the different masks we wear to, to uh, settle in, to put our best foot forward, but yet we can also get, get caught in wearing masks. And alongside that book, in that season, I was really coming to grips with the grace of God, that uh, if my life was completely devoted to God, there might be some masks that would have to come off. There would be some masks that would have to come off, but there would be uh, an opportunity to serve, right? Like I wasn't going to be indispensable to God's mission, but God would, would graciously put me to, put me to work in his, in his endeavors, right? So that was, that was a really key time around 2021 20, years old. Uh, and then I'd say another key time was in 2016, just before we had moved to uh, serve here in uh, in Marion at Wesley Seminary. Uh, we had been sensing for maybe maybe 14, 16 months 
that God was moving us along from our church, church that we loved, a church that I think loved us, church that was doing effective ministry. And I think that my my pastoral ministry was was still effective there. Um, but since the Lord was was moving us into a, a new area, and we were grieving that as we're going along, um, but it seemed that things were really lining up whenever the seminary called and invited into a, an application process and, and saw that unfold. Uh, but just before we moved, maybe just about a month before we moved, my dad is diagnosed with terminal cancer and it just throws that whole thing for a loop, right? And I'm taking back to God, God, this has been a process where we've just been trying to seek you, follow you, you know, not put two foot, not put two steps in front of the other, put one step in front of the other. And uh, everything seems to be lining up. And now this, right? We only lived about two and a half hours from my parents at the time. And so this was really a challenging season. And um, really in sense, the Lord say to me, uh, Aaron, none of this takes me by surprise, right? Like um, you have been following me. I have been, I have been unfolding this because I said, God, if I knew this diagnosis just, you know, two, three months ago, I would have, I would have just uh, stayed put, would have stayed in the, in the pastorate here. Um, and, or if I knew it, you know, two months from now, we would have already been moved and we're not going to, you know, it's like this happened right in this time. But it was, it was uh, in that kind of in-between time when it hit, it was clear that God was saying, you can trust me with this. Uh, I, this doesn't catch me by surprise. I knew the timing. I've unfolded it uh, with this. I have reason in this. And so that was a season of, of learning how to trust. Um, the next 18 to 24 months were uh, spent a lot of it on the road, driving to and from the Ottawa Valley, um, from Indiana, to and from Indiana. Uh, to see my dad and my wife and I learned to see that as it really is a, a, a wilderness, a desert time. But one of the things that God graciously gave to that is a, as a time to lean on each other. And so in the midst of the providence of God, you're seeing so many things surround that. This, this season allows us to bond as a family, to lean on one another, to sense that God can hold us even in those in-between times, those wilderness times. And that was really, you know, in hindsight, I still look back at that time, still reflect upon it, still seeing uh, the grace of God in the midst of it, shine the, shining the light of God into it. It's still yielding fruit as I learn who God is and understand who he is and, and lean into the, the various graces that he's given to me in my, in my life that I can lean into even today. Yeah, and when you know, I look at your um, your your research, and again, thanks for just for sharing that. It's like now, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I know your their latest book that you have. It's called Kairos Care: um, A Process for Pastoral Counseling in the Office and in Everyday Encounters. And it, how how did that actually experience that you just said? Um, did you experience pastoral care during that difficult season? Is that what helped you to frame it, or did you already have some ideas? And how did that going through that experience with your dad? shape some of your ideas about what really good pastoral counseling and pastoral care would look like? It's kind of something that our, our family has always been around the ministry. My dad wasn't a pastor. Uh, mm. A lot of people sometimes think he was. He was actually a principal. He was a teacher, principal, and administrator. But our family was always involved in the local church, and it can sometimes feel that ministry was the family business. I had cousins, cousins that are in this. I was in pastoral ministry. My brother, Tim, was in pastoral ministry. Uh, it's just, it's just been, been all around. So it's hard for me to, to separate out the care that was, I'll say overwhelming, but in the good sense, uh, from family, from pastors, because they're all shepherding kinds of people. So many are, are either pastors in the ministry or have, have grown up with that as part of their imagination and how you provide support. 
but yeah, we did, we did receive pastoral care from uh, our local church. Um, some of the pastoral staff, we certainly received pastoral care from other colleagues here at the seminary that were just jumping into, to walk alongside us and listen whenever the timing, uh, whenever the timing was right. Um, back in my own pastoral ministry, I'll say a convicting story that I had. I was out seeing, uh, visiting a family one day and they had received a similar to us, a really difficult diagnosis. And I had gone out to see them and they said, you know, we're so appreciative that, that you've come to see us. We're really surprised that you came. And I said, oh, that, you know, tell, tell me about that. Why were you surprised that I came? I said, well, we just know that you're, you're so busy. And, you know, somebody told us, you know, don't, don't ask because they're, they're just, the pastors are so busy. And, and at first I was like, who in the world told this dear family not to ask their pastor to come and visit them, right? And then I, and then I realized the Lord checked my spirit and I said, well, I may not have used the words, but I, I told them with my actions. And I looked at my life and just the, the way that I'm, I'm wired is, you know, I want to bring everything out of the day, right? It's like, till, till I start, till I stop, like, like, there's no missed opportunity. There's nothing that's, there's no time that's wasted. And so I might not have said the words, but I definitely showed them with my actions, like, oh, I'm too busy to do some of these things. And whenever people are in the midst of tough times like that, they're usually not the ones who are keen on reaching out. You know, it's maybe one of the reasons that James teaches us, if anyone is sick, he should call the others, because we're typically not, we're, we're typically not wired to call people together when we're sick. It's, it takes time. But they were so gracious to actually extend the invitation. Would I come and see them? And, and it was so gracious of God to allow that conversation to come up because I realized so much of pastoral ministry is about timing, right? So whenever people were ready to listen and I had, I wanted to talk about, you know, the transition of moving, um, trying to show care and support to my, my mom and dad from a distance, uh, they had a certain presence, right? They were, they were willing and able to, to listen because they had some margin that they had wisely built in. And I look back. Uh, it wasn't always my wisdom. It was it was the grace of God, and sometimes things I've learned along the way. But just that availability of the pastor, whether it was in the office, whether it was uh, having a little bit less uh, of a rush, having some margin, whenever I was doing shopping, right? Just the everyday things of life in the in the coffee shop, um, having that availability of the pastor was often the context where moments of pastoral guidance and pastoral counsel was coming up. And, and was being executed, maybe in a conversation or maybe over a few conversations. But it was really, that was the, the availability of something that communicated the pastoral presence of our Lord through, in this case, me, or maybe one of my, my colleagues or pastors at our church uh, when they were serving me. You know, that's, a, that's just a, a, a powerful story that you just told about, uh, you know, I wouldn't call the pastor, he's too busy. And, and uh, you know, and you can think of my, my own life, I'm thinking, well, maybe that's no, no one ever calls me because they, they always say, well, oh, I know you're really busy. And, uh, you know, at some level, that can be a defense mechanism on, on our hand. And I've kind of explored some of that in my, in my own life. So it's you're a teacher and you're teaching in, the, in these practical fields, um, you know, leadership, preaching, pastoral care stuff. So how do you get that across to students? And what have you found strategy-wise for yourself? Because you just sort of said you're a self-confessed schedule filler too. Because um, one of the dangers that I've noticed in my work with pastors is, you know, like I've just I was just thinking I was just talking to one of the people that I, that I work with in my my coaching program and works 55 hours a week as a pastor and and that he had another career and so he was used to putting in long hours. <clears throat> um, 
But if you pre-schedule 55 hours, you don't really have time to do pastoral care per se, um, unless you just now you're going to be working 60 some hours a week or 70 hours. So how does that lesson that you learned, how does that translate to a pastor's calendar as you, you know, you, and, you know, you're, and you're working with students that are doing pastoral ministry and going to seminary, right? So, and that's what I run into at the, on the Orlando campus. And so it's folks that literally have zero margin and they're never going to have margin. If you don't, you know, you either have margin all the time or you'll never have it because it's just the way we're wired. So, you know, how have you taken that lesson and, you know, changed the way you think about time and how you instruct students to manage their calendars? Yeah. A few things I suggest. One is is ruthlessly guarding your Sabbath. And mm-hmm. this is this is one of, if I have a, a finger that points to the student with it, it's three pointing back at me. Um, and I've learned that uh, I'm probably practicing Sabbath well whenever uh, the anxieties of the week and the frustrations of the week even start to come out on that day. Because it's like, oh, that's the place where they can come out, right? Like I've finally given time and space for that to, to come out. So it's kind of uh, counterintuitive, right? You're like, oh, man. If it's coming out on that day, I must be doing thing. I must be doing something wrong. Like, no, that's that just shows that you actually need this break, right? If they don't come out on a certain day, it's not that they're not there. They're just gonna they're just gonna come out at you know whenever uh, they maybe just get internalized until they they finally explode out. So I'd say really ruthlessly practice a Sabbath. I would also say schedule it in, right? There's there's nothing wrong with scheduling margin into your time. Um, it's good leaders and and pastors are leaders. They need time to think right? They need time to think and process. They need time to reflect. Sometimes they just need time to, to sit and practice a discipline. Uh, Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, is one that we take our students through through our spiritual formation classes. And I've, I've required it in my doctor of ministry class. And it's so important that you have to schedule in the disciplines. And so if you schedule in time to be silent, you schedule in time to be alone, then um, you, it's like you're, you're already having that kind of availability to God. And God is the one who's able to, to stretch things out, right? So instead of if you've got if you've got hours set aside for sermon preparation, God is God is amazingly able to to bring insight to us in eight instead of ten, right? Or in ten hours instead of twelve, right? God is able to to help us with those things. And the other thing is if you schedule in some of these marginalized time and there's the emergency thing that comes up, then you're able to do a readjustment. And it doesn't mean you're trying to tack something else on. You're able to cut something else out, right? Every every yes is a no to something else. So if you're going to say yes to something, and sometimes you have to say yes spontaneously to things, you have to realize I'm going to say no to something else. And so if if there's measures of available time in your schedule, then you can kind of say no to those moments of availability for the urgent that that um, comes up. So uh, ruthlessly practicing Sabbath so important. Scheduling in available times so that the margin can get. Uh, the margins already built in is really important. And, and finally, I'd say this is more of a posture, but to recognize um, many times our culture values busyness. Mm-hmm. And it's like busyness can be the mark of uh, an effective person. And uh, I had a, a mentor whenever I was in college and he said, Aaron, I just had to learn to realize my schedule book should look radically different from people who are out of balance in my church. And if they look at my scheduling book, then they, they should be frustrated. Like, why aren't they doing more? And if I'm okay with them being frustrated, then I'm probably setting a better model for, for them to have. Maybe maybe one story I'd, I'd share on this, because it, again, that's the posture that I have to keep coming back to. Um, I remember it was just the, 
the run of the mill day and I'm trying to get my kids ready. I'm, I think, I think it was church, but it might've been school. I can't remember. And I'm trying to, you know, get breakfast done or tidied up and clothes and all the things that are just naturally happening. And I remember just a, it was an honest and earnest prayer, <laughs> but perhaps an immature one. And I said, God, would you please help my kids to speed up? Right. It was just something like that. And instantly yeah. it was just this check in my spirit. And God said, I have given them to you to slow you down. I won't speed them up. And what a gift then. So the family that calls me in, you know, tough diagnosis. What, what a sign of grace that this family whose entire life is getting rearranged is a reminder to me, I need to go at a pace that I can be present to them. And then it's a grace because maybe I'm slowing down. Right, like if I am attuned and attentive to the needs of people that are under my spiritual care, then God isn't the one who's asking me to live completely out of balance and out of rhythm with His expectations. Right, so maybe some of those things that interrupt us are meant to check and challenge what our rhythm is, so that we are slowed down to appreciate, to live in better balance, to live in better rhythm, to have better accurate self-assessment, and recognize our limits. Right, that the the care action of the pastor. Is a, is a means of grace, then I don't have to try and squeeze more things out, out of that time. I just go through the rhythm of it and recognize God is still being gracious to me. God is, is not speeding them up. God is maybe slowing me down. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's really good. You know, I always remember, it's like what Bonhoeffer's, I think it's what Life Together, he actually has a whole little section on being interrupted and if you, <laughs> it's being critical for a pastor. And it's always interesting in that book, um, I think the chapter right behead of that are, the, are about sitting in silence, but then you have this whole thing of interruption. I think it's so powerful. And I know like a growing edge in my own life, and I was just looking because I didn't really know how you're going to answer, but it's funny. I, on Twitter this week, and this is in early August when we're recording this, I, I just wrote a tweet uh, so I've been thinking about exactly what you said and about limits and actually, instead of trying to get rid of limits, actually just embracing them. And I wrote, busyness is often the preferred excuse for avoiding the deeper work God desires to do in us, for us, and through us. And uh, I just I just love the way you just you just put flesh on the, the thought that I had this week. So thanks for, uh, for that. So talk about the title Kairos. I mean, we're talking about being available, and, and that word is kind of all about... Um, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be spontaneous, but there's something different about being of Kairos time. It's uh, so talk about why you titled a book on pastoral care, um, put the word Kairos in it. Yeah. So this, so here's my confession. The idea isn't unique to me, right? If somebody looks up a Kairos model, they're going to yeah. find the diagram that I've built this model around this process around. They're going to find it all over the web. It's all over the web. I tried to find where it actually started, but I couldn't. So Somebody brilliant out there developed this, and and I don't think it was specifically about pastoral counseling. I think it was, you know, it can be applied to a number of just leadership actions, and and it maps well into the church. But that wasn't unique to me, so I didn't, right. I didn't invent the, the the name of it. But it really does fit really well into what is so often, even what we're talking about being interrupted. Uh, it fits into the the rhythm of pastoral ministry because so often counseling, and when a person is asking for the pastor's guidance and counsel and wisdom. Uh, it really is about timing, right? So uh, um, maybe you think about uh, these different moments in life that just jar the person so that they say, you know, I don't want to go through that again. Something has to change. There's got to be, there's got to be, uh, uh, something's got to be modified and different. And of course, in that moment, there's a natural amount of energy and drive and motivation. You think about, you know, early January, the gym is full. That's mm -hmm. COVID seasons, of course, but, you know, the gym is full. 
uh, whenever there's those those charged times. But gradually, it, it, it the the people who are there they they stop coming as as often, right? And only a few stick around. And likely those few who are making a change stick around because they've had some some support, right? They've had some things in place that have been able to adjust their schedule, get them there, keep them motivated, help them see results, right? The various things that provide support so that there is lasting change. Now, Kairos Care, I say, is the pastor has to be one who recognizes timing. Mm -hmm. right? One of the differences between pastors and professional counselors is pastors are actually charged with the responsibility to know their people so that they're initiating some of these conversations, right? So they, they can see when it's a season of change, when it's a, it's a charged time, when, it's, when the timing is right. You know, the people might come to the pastor. The pastor might also see, oh, this is a, this is a unique moment that's, that's coming at you right now, right? Pastors are charged to be initiating care in different ways. And really interestingly, like, I mean, the only way that we become good at telling timing is whenever we, we keep time well so that we're in good rhythm and so that we have opportunity to see, right? We're keeping time, then we, if we keep time well, then we can, we can tell the time well. We can recognize timing. So uh, I can't, you know, there's a number of stories in the book where it's like the, the pastoral counseling moment caught me by surprise. Um, but you're like, oh, this is, this is one of these moments, right? This person is seeking counsel. This person is seeking guidance and then trying to flesh out some of the uh, moments along the way so that, yeah, the, that initially charged moment, that initially charged uh, event, that loses some of its power. But if you're going through a process, then you can provide support for a person to capitalize on that timing, right? To see the, to see the opportunity before them stretched over time a little bit and result really in some, some significant change. And so, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the need to be interrupted, the need to have margin in our lives so we can do pastoral cares, the real need to know our folks if we're pastors. What would you say are some other maybe common mistakes that pastors make in pastoral care or maybe shifts that they need to make in a mindset that you know, caused you to write this book? In my conversations with students, I found one of two extremes was, was common enough that I wanted to address it. Number one is I would have people that would say, you know, I tell my people, I, I have one session, I have one meeting and that's it. Right. Mm. And, 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 you know, that, you know, people are just discouraged, right? It's like, Oh, I better, I better have my whole story and understanding together. If I only get one, one conversation yeah. with the pastor about something in my life. Um, but I, so I was like, Oh, I think that's, I think that's an error. And then I'd sometimes have students that would just be so drained from all the counseling they were doing. And it was maybe sessions that were holding on to, 10, 12, 18 weeks. Um, and I, I would say, you know, that that's probably moving outside the realm of your expertise and responsibility, right? If you, if you are not a licensed pastoral counselor, if you are not uh, a, a professional counselor, then seeing somebody over that length of time is going to probably not doing them any good. And it's, it's obviously taxing, right? It's obviously wearing on you. And so I wanted to, to provide a model that I had seen in hindsight, just very effective I hope and, and to God's glory had been effective in my own pastoral life as it mapped into the, the Kairos care model, which had been given to, or the Kairos uh, moment model, which had been given to me uh, along the way. And I think it effectively addresses those two, those two errors, right? Um, I say that this, this model can, can help guide a person through a conversation, one conversation. I think it, I think it effectively can. It can also be mapped out into six sessions, right? Or somewhere in between, as you see the, of the stages unfolding or the, the moments in the process unfolding 
but it also sets a limit, right? If, if I, in the book, I give um, examples of when there's natural points of referral, right? Sometimes it's really easy after one conversation to say, uh, you know, this, this, this person needs some support um, that's outside soul care, right? Sometimes you get to a point where there's clarity around what change the person wants to bring about. And the, the pastor says, you know, I don't, I don't think I agree with them, or I don't yet know that I agree with them, but they're really persisting. Maybe this is a time to have them see somebody else, or perhaps, you know, the, the pastor believes they can help and support. There's a really clear uh, uh, desired future that the person has, but it's uh, the plan just isn't being effective. And so the pastor can refer them uh, elsewhere. I mean, I think the, I think the model gives pastors a number of spots along the way to see, Hey, is this being effective? Um, am I, am I faithfully discharging the responsibility of giving guidance and counsel to this person who, and, and caring appropriately for their soul and also to recognize, oh, we might be shifting into out of pastoral counseling and into pastoral care here. One time I had a student, we were talking about referral and they said, man, that sounds like you're just kicking that person to the curb. And I was <laughs> like, oh, this is so good. Thank you for saying that because that is not what it is. And it, in fact, if there's referral, the pastor's investment in the person's life might actually go up a notch in terms of time, right? They might need somebody, they might need the pastor checking in on them, you know, daily for a while or every other day in some kind of connection. They might need the pastor's presence to help them find a person to be appropriately referred to and, and see, you know, how did the first, uh, how is that getting, getting started for them? You know, pastoral care might actually increase upon referral. So it helps to lay out, um, the role of the pastor to faithfully discharge, you know, it's not just a one, a one-time thing and it's not ongoing uh, counseling. Both those are, I think are outside the, the best pastoral practice, but it also gives moments of recognizing, yeah, the pastor has a role to play and can be uh, a redemptive person, right? Can be, can be a channel of God's grace into this person's life as God's helping them to see a change and live at a different, live at a different level. Yeah, and I like what you just said, especially about, um, you know, I feel like I'm kicking the person to the curb and that, in fact, my life might get busier once I make a referral. What, what's your what's your um, opinion or recommendation? Should in, in your mind, should every pastor have some role in pastoral care? I mean, because we seem like one of the challenges in the church and uh, again, it depends on how big the church is. I mean, the local church is, because obviously if you, you know, if your pastor church has whatever, 5,000 people, then yeah, you're going to need a whole team because there's no way that you'd even probably even get to say hi to everybody that goes to your church ever, maybe, right? So how do you counsel students to find that balance? Because it seems like there's a need. <clears throat> the goal isn't just to refer people, it's to do legitimate powerful ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the thing that uniquely we, we can bring to the table as Christian pastors. But so how do you counsel a person about the, the, the need to continue to have real skin in the game as a senior pastor versus like, oh, I'm just going to preach or I'm just going to do pastoral care for my staff because there's just way too many people? What, 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 do, you, what do you counsel for folks in those positions? Well, just, just that, that, that if, if they have no kind of connection with people in their church where there's uh, actual disrupted lives that are taking place, then everything about their leadership is going to suffer, right? How do, how do they know? How do they know the, the heartbeat of the church? How do they know the, in the, in a macro kind of sense, where, where God's spirit is leading? Um, how do they, how do they know what the, uh, what life of their, of the people under their care is like so that they can have a moment of proclaiming the word and preaching Christ to them, uh, without that kind of personal connection. Now, of course, 
um, it's not about it's not about scaling to to have a, a, a contact with more and more people. It's about how do I have an authentic connection with the people that are that are in my sphere, mm-hmm. right? And so for the senior pastor, that that might be um, you know that might be the people who are in structured leadership in the church. Maybe maybe some on their board, or maybe a few other um, friends or counselors, uh, you know, got guides to them that are part of it. Maybe it is their staff. Right? But there has to be that kind of real life connection within the church that isn't simply marked by professional roles and responsibilities. Um, otherwise, it, it misses the point of, of pastoral ministry, right? We, we do become shopkeepers or we do simply become CEOs with simply simply with a unique set of skills that's that's deployed in a religious organization. Right. And that's not that's not pastoring. Now, at the same time, you know, as as there are various professional responsibilities that go uh for senior level pastors and staff pastors all the way through, there, there probably are people that they are connected with, right? There are people who would seek them out that, that um, in the book, we talk a little bit about dual relationships. And again, in, in professional counseling, dual relationships are, are frowned upon, but in pastoral ministry, it's almost presumed, right? That mm-hmm. the person is seeking out the pastor's guidance because they have a relationship with them, right? Because they've been on a team with them, because they have heard them preach, because they have, um, been in a small group together right whatever uh, because there's a relationship they're seeking out the pastor so i would say you know it, it's really a an opportunity then if no one is coming to the pastor for a kind of personal and and a little bit uh more personalized uh, set of guidance then maybe the pastor ha- can ask themselves have i lost personal contact with people in my church right have i lost uh, a personal contact such that they have no sense of of who I am as a as a person, right? There's just a there's a, a mask, the pastoral mask that I wear, and that's all they that's all they they know me as and by. There's no personal connection, and if that's the case, then you know there's a there's a warning sign that probably should be should be rung, right? There's a there's a bell that should be rung. There's a, a sign that should be heeded that man, I'm, maybe I'm acting in an impersonal way and and even a, a robotic way that isn't recognizing that the I've got some limits as well. Well, I've been accused of being a robot at different points in my life. Um, so like if you're, you know, let's just say you're um, <laughs> giving me counsel and I'm like, geez, Aaron, I just really sense that I'm out of touch with the folks that I'm serving. What, what uh, you know, is from your own expertise, what are, what are next steps for that pastor that maybe they feel like, okay, geez, I've gotten way too detached. I need to make a shift. Or even, you know, you mentioned you made a shift because these folks thought you were way too busy. So you had to kind of rethink that. So what does that actually look like? in terms of a public stance? I mean, you mentioned changing the way you did your schedule, but what does that look like publicly and how do you encourage folks to get more re-engaged? Like what would be some um, tips on how to re-engage and becoming more personable if you feel like you've gotten pulled away? And again, maybe touch base a little bit because one of the challenges of the last, what, 14 months is a lot of people had to do stuff on Zoom and pastors at some level have gotten out of a lot of pastoral care just because they couldn't, right? You can't go visit the shut-ins and then there's folks that can't use the tech. So this has been a season where a lot of people have had to step back. So how do you step back into something if you realized either due to, you know, say COVID or just because of your personality, you found yourself withdrawn from the folks you're serving? One of the best pieces of advice I was given along the way, and this, this was given to me in the midst of conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, it applies here too. The the phrase was, whenever you sense conflict is how do you kick it up a personal level? So there's conflict over email. I'm going to make a phone call. There's conflict over a phone call. Let's see if we can meet uh, personally, right? How do I kick it up a personal level? And I would, I would say a similar way. If you find yourself disconnected, you're not going to have a brand, you're not going to have a, a total rearrangement, 
but you find yourself disconnected, I'd say, who are, who are the two or three people that you find yourself just leaning on in ministry, right? Mm-hmm. Who are the people that, that you say, you say I, I rely quite a bit on them? And maybe you're at a, at a loss for having, you know, you can't go do lunch with them or you can't pick up the phone call and people, people can feel awkward on the phone now. It's kind of one of those strange things that's like, if, if my cell phone rings, I'm like, oh, is it an emergency, right? Like, you know, so maybe you can't make a phone call, but maybe you can write a letter. Right. Maybe you can take time and, and rather than an email, which might feel formal, it's like, can I slow myself down to actually write a letter so that it takes me time to write it? It takes them time to read it. Right. That's a practice that's that's slowing me. And it's a practice that I'm that I'm uh, investing. Now, maybe uh, once that's the case, then you can say, is there somebody that I haven't met with for a long time that I can reconnect with? One of the people are there people in my church that have gone through that have just gone through loss, right? That I can send uh, bereavement cards to, right? Do something that that personalizes them, something that personalizes me to them. It's not going to be a total rearrangement of the schedule, but it is an uptick in the personal uh, connection with them. I'd say uh, stop and look. Who? Um, I'd also say slow down so that whenever there's text-based communication that comes our way, can I read it slowly to see is there more to this than what I've otherwise than what I otherwise might miss. Now, that, that can actually be practiced on social media too, right? So I'm, I don't use Twitter, but I'm on Facebook a decent amount and I can find myself into that doom scroll, right? Like just going through. Sometimes I find it really helpful to read the longer posts, you know, stop and read, you know, TLDR, too long didn't read. I can get the, that, you know, these are people that they say are my friends, but I just scroll on by. Can I just, if I'm gonna be on Facebook, can I challenge myself to say, I'm not going to spend five minutes just scrolling to see what catches my eye. I'm actually going to read what some of my friends have wanted me to read because they've shared it with me, mm-hmm. right? Whenever I take that posture that what is being shared with me, the person has desired that I would recognize and see and read, then it starts to already personalize them. And maybe instead of uh, just scrolling by or, or clicking an emoticon, right? Like, like, care, heart, I take a moment and I actually pray. Right? I take, I set aside two, three, four minutes. I actually pray, send them a personal message, right? Maybe it's not a letter this time. It's a personal message uh, over social media so that it's personalized to them, right? Those slowing practices, those practices that can personalize. And here's the thing. God is interested in his pastors being shepherds to people. That's why he called them, right? That's why he equips them. Are they all going to be shepherds in the same way? No. Are they all going to have the, you know, that, you know, you think of that prototypical pastor who just exudes care. No, not all going to be that, but it's a non-negotiable part of the job, right? Pastors are people who are put into people's lives to care for them, to uh, to steward them through, uh, help steward them through life, to care for souls. And so it's a non-negotiable part of the job. And so if God is, here's the good news, if God is stirring that in your life, then God doesn't do that to condemn us. God stirs in us because there's an opportunity. And all we do is just say yes in the moment. What's the simple, what's the simple way I can slow down? What's the simple way I can personalize this? Um, even with people that are in my life and leadership sphere right now, and then and then do that, right? Let God start to form our our own souls. Let let us uh, let those slowing practices be something that God uses to start to transform us. And and He's interested in us being good pastors. He's interested in all in all His people having good rhythms in life. You you just mentioned social media. You mentioned cell phones ringing. You men- mentioned getting text messages or even maybe getting emails. And then even scrolling through through Facebook, uh, I mean that that can just be chronic interruptions and reactions. And I and I don't think I'm hearing you say 
anytime your phone rings or anytime you get a text, you literally got to stop and do that. So, I mean, maybe you are, and if you are, please explain how that works. But if, if you're not, do you recommend like actually putting it into the schedule? Hey, I'm going to check Facebook and have it like set times. I mean, like what are strategies that to, to implement what you just said without letting that literally just drive your entire day, which it easily could. Yeah. To be honest, I haven't, I haven't thought through strategies for that. Uh, if I think that makes sense, right? If you're a person that that's one of the ways you stay connected to your church and you know you can't stay connected all the time, then give yourself permission to have a schedule on it, right? I'm going to do it from this time to, the, to that time, right? And then I can recognize my boundary, right? I don't have to stay and I can't stay uh, eternally connected universally, right? I can't stay eternally connected to, to all the people in our church. I'd also say this can be a great time to teach our people how to access the pastor, because mm -hmm. there are some people who will just expect all oh, the pastor, you know, some people might think all oh, the pastor is too busy to ever have time for me. And there are other people that might say, oh, the pastor is never busy. They, they should be able to, they should be, you know, 7-Eleven kind of employee, right? They're available 24-7, right? They should be the, the personalized version of 7-Eleven. And that's not realistic either. So there is, a, there is a time of teaching our people, right, how am I available? When am I available? And like James says, if, if you're sick, like if you are in need of time, like this is how you can contact us, right? This is how we are, we are available. It recognizes that, that we have limits and that we can live into those limits. Of course, you're, you're absolutely right, right? There, there are times when uh, I said earlier, every yes is a no to something, right? Every yes to someone taking your time is a no to somebody else. And so there really is an important aspect of having a, a well-balanced life and recognizing who, who needs my time, right? To whom have I been given by God uh, in, the, in the time that's been entrusted to me? If you're married, obviously your spouse. If you have children, your, your children. If you say yes to, to people, it's a no to them. Sometimes yes. you, say, you have to say that. Yeah, sometimes you have to say that. Sometimes you need to say no to the other people in order to have a yes to, your, to others who are brought more closely to you absolutely you have to have you have to, to use that and that's living into limits right i don't have limitless time i don't have limitless energy and so there's a there's a rhythm of faithfulness that i have to become okay with one of my uh teachers and, and mentors in ministry he said whenever the pastor can realize well this person doesn't need the pastor they need jesus then my no to them is their opportunity to say yes to actually meet with him Right, the pastor can be can become uh, a substitute for Jesus, and man, it takes some it takes some recognizing when's that's the case. And earlier, early in my ministry, I would say there's a certain um, there's a certain heroism that the pastor can feel about always being needed. Right? There's a there's a there's a certain um, uh, comfort and affirmation that can come whenever we say, oh, you know, I'm needed. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, no, there's a certain humility that also comes and says, no, they don't need me. Right. They, they don't mean they don't need me. They need Jesus. And they're not going to see Jesus if I say yes to them here. Right. They're not going to actually encounter him if I'm always saying yes to their time. So is it it's is there a science to it? Yeah, there's a few tips and scheduling things. Uh, is it an art? Yeah, it's, it's an art and it takes le leaning into some of the the uh, wisdom that God gives us along the way. That's really good. And I want to be fair to your time here. So let me just ask you some kind of quick questions. I like to ask all my guests here. And so it's easy, like what's, what would be next for you 
And, you know, is there another book you're working on? And what I'm really interested in, since you kind of just said you're a self, um, self-described guy that likes to not waste any time, I'm always interested in what would be, what, what's a book you're afraid to write, um, even in all your busyness or whatever. So, I mean, you can answer any one of those questions. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the book that I'm afraid to write is, it, and you're already going to know why it would be, you know, a daunting task is some kind of like Augustinian philosophy of leadership. Oh, yeah. I, I think I think his approach to time is is really helpful, and the postures that we have of, of memory and attention and expectation, I think that those map into leadership uh, postures really well. So, you know, I'm kind of afraid to write that book, but but I think that it might be really interesting to to marry those things um, up together. Um, so that would be that maybe is the book that I'm that I'm currently afraid to write. I'm guessing that'll come with, you're still a young man there, Aaron. So that may just come with some more seasoned wisdom to be able to get, because because it takes a certain command of, the, of multiple literatures to pull something that off. But that sounds like a long game. Is there a book you're working on right now that's going to be like a follow-up or a different, go back to your, you've written on preaching and some, and even leadership stuff. So like, what, is there another book you actually are working on right now? Uh, you know, maybe multiple ones that are just kind of in the Genesis phase. I'd really like to, I'd really like to do a, a dive into C.S. Lewis to teach pastoral theology. Uh-huh. I mean, Lewis wasn't a pastor, but he really had his his finger on the pulse of culture, and as a result, you can see uh, how some of his how some of his thoughts influenced and continue to influence pastors. So, I think is there a way to teach you know about sacraments, about preaching, about worship, about um, about liturgy? You know, is there a way to teach about these things from uh, a corpus that that people are, still have a measure of familiarity with, and and that's already accessed in their imagination? So that's one that I'm kind of around and seeing how that might um, get done. And it also allows me to be in literature that I find life-giving and, and intellectually stimulating. So that's, uh, that's not under contract or anything like that, but it's, it's kind of percolating, I guess I'd say, and, and uh, snippets of it make its way out on, on Facebook every once in a while. Cool, cool. So in um, what does a typical day look like for you? You've talked about scheduling in spiritual discipline. So like if you're going to describe, you know, you know, it can be as personal as you want or just be generic on the whole thing. But like what what does your what 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 fuels you? How do you set your day up with with healthy rhythms? I mean, you mentioned Sabbath that really fuel you so you can show up and you know be as um you know powerfully present as possible and be at your best as much of the time as possible. Yeah, a few things that that I try to anchor my my day and week around uh I'm in in the Bible in the morning if that can happen three, four times a week, I find that really, really helpful, really necessary. Uh, our family tries to go for a walk almost every evening. It's oh, nice. A family, Perry family walk. And there's, you know, sometimes some grumbling. Sometimes I'm the grumbler <laughs> about it. But, you know, we have a measure of discipline to, to do that. And, and it's, it's just time together. And we're reminded we live in a community. We live in a neighborhood. Who are our neighbors? You know, what are they like? You know, we see some of them that are doing the same thing. So those two things are really uh, important to me. And I'd also say one of the things that God impressed on my, on my heart. So I can also tend towards um, uh, introversion, right? Like, I, you know, you do your Myers-Briggs, you know, those things can help us see things. And I, and I come out, you know, pretty much in the middle, but I do need some, some alone time with mm-hmm. it. And sometimes, like I said, with scripture, I'm naturally uh, reading scripture alone, but I've, I've, really God has, has convicted it. I think it's become a good mark in our family that um, can we learn scripture together and can we, so we're working on the, on the Beatitudes. Can we memorize the Beatitudes together as a, as a family? And so putting those kind of into the, 
the everyday moments of, of our home, right? Meal times or just traveling in the car. Um, that, that, you know, the, the time in scripture, the time of just walking and being reminded we're in, we're in community. And then those things that can kind of get sprinkled in every once in a while, right? Is it, is it at lunch? Is it at supper? You know, is it just kind of spontaneously? Like those little spirit, those little uh, opportunities to reflect and, and learn together. And I've learned to see my family then as just a, a real means of grace, right? Like they slow me down. What a what a gift. Yeah. Do they keep me from going fast? Of course. Thank God, right? Thank God for, for them to slow me down. So those are things that that uh, still imperfectly applying, imperfectly living out, imperfectly postured towards, but that can be helpful for me. Now I love how you just brought your family into it. That's just really, really beautiful. And I, you know, and I actually, you know, obviously children are a gift. They do, they do slow you down and, and until they leave. And then you have to reorder your whole life. Cause then you can, uh, my kids are all grown up now and I've just filled my day up. And so I've had to relearn all these limit things. Cause now I don't sort of very few limits, but I, I do I just love the the kids and it just reminds me when I had my kids were younger. So thank you for that great reminder. What would be two or three books? And again, this is the impossible question for any fellow academic, but you're just going to pick two or three books that have really helped to shape you spiritually other than the bible itself what would be a couple of those books aaron uh saint augustine's confessions that that has absolutely been uh crucial uh to, to me i'd say i started reading it in depth uh, i'm not talking you know in uh original languages or anything but just you know a couple of different english translations going through it slowly trying to read long pockets of it at a time right different strategies you have to read that book has been soul forming for me and 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 soul shaping, I'd say, you know, and whenever you get acquainted with the text, and I'm still, you know, very much an, an amateur with it, is, and it's written in a certain way, you recognize, oh, this, this is a person who's shepherding me, right? Like the, the written word that St. Augustine's given, that, that's, that's shepherding me in a, in a tough season of life with, with COVID and loss of my dad and those, and those different things. Uh, so that's been really helpful. And then I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, I could probably pick three or four from C.S. Lewis, but Till We Have Faces is one that I go back to over and again, very humbling text, uh, very very uh, searching text. One of the great lines in it is that in writing this book, um, the book is split into two parts. One is a story of this of uh, the main character's complaint against the gods. And the second part of the book is her retraction, essentially. And she says that the God used my pen to probe my wound. And, mm -hmm. and there's always a, a probing of wounds, I would say, in reading Till We Have Faces. And then I would say either uh, great divorce or or screw tape letters. Take, take your pick, right? One of those at, at any given time is is convicting, challenging, chastening kind of text for me. Really so good. Augustine and Lewis. I mean, and Lewis is certainly formed by Augustine, so you know, that's uh, there's some uh, overlap that happens through them. And just for a final question, where can listeners find out more about your work? Again, your latest book, Kairos Care: A Process for Pastoral Counseling in the Office and in Everyday encounters um so that's available on amazon wherever books are i'm sure but where else can folks find you talk a little about your podcast and uh and we'll, and we'll wrap the conversation up at that point yeah uh so uh the podcast is the west seminary podcast we are at simplecast and it, it distributes out to a number of different places um you can actually get a free chapter of the book from from abingdon press's uh website so if you go in they, they've got a sample chapter that you can read. Uh, I'm not on. I'm not on Twitter, but um, you know, if, if our paths have crossed somewhere online, you can find me on Facebook uh, relatively easily. And of course, the the seminary website, um, westseminary.edu, and or sorry, indwest.edu, and you can do a search for this. The seminary as part of that school. 
indwes.edu. And you can find my email there. I love having conversations, right? They're, every once in a while, it's so fun to have a, and, and sometimes they're challenging emails, right? They're, they're, they're comments that are inviting further you know, critical reflection, but I love having conversation with people and, and meeting people through the, through the uh, context of ministry. And, and it is like, that's a chance to get to know somebody, to know somebody else. So I'm always interested in, in emails. Perhaps somebody tracks down a, the a sample chapter of the book and they want to hear a little bit more about it before they, they commit to it. And they, I'd love to hear from them, right? I'd love to hear from, from them through email or on Facebook and chat a little bit about it and see if it might be a good fit for them and where they are and how they're growing in ministry. And those of us listening on YouTube can see Aaron's email right there on his Zoom window. But for those others, we'll go ahead and put that in the show notes if you want to reach out to him at uh, Indiana Wesleyan. Aaron, thanks so much for being on uh, the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast today. I appreciate your willingness to share from your wisdom. And I'm always grateful for the work that God does in another person's life and how, you're, how you've given that back to him and are serving others. So thank you for all the work that you do and the books that you write and the, the ministry that uh, you continue to practice. Well, and likewise, Brian, I, I appreciate you making the time available and uh, giving me a chance to, to share and also hear some of your, your story as our paths are crossing, you know, not as often as I'd like, but every once in a while in ministry, it's nice to catch up a little bit. Yeah, thank you. And we, I want to thank everybody for listening all the way to the end of this week's episode. And until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope in the world. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you found this episode helpful, would you share it with friends or others in your network? And would you consider leaving a review so to help other people find this episode? All of the resources are in the show notes, so I invite you to check those out. And I want to also say, if you're interested in learning about Centering Prayer, my book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life, will be released in September of 2021. You can get it already on Amazon. And if you would like information about Centering Prayer and some help getting started, you can also sign up for information directly with me, go to centeringprayerbook.com. All that information is also in the show notes. I will see you next time.